Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. Whether furloughed or part of the great resignation, they've birthed the big idea, and those 57 million Americans are contributing more than $1 trillion to the U.S. economy annually. This is what the new normal looks like. You now have a front row seat to creator culture and into the places where the magic is being made. Subscribe now to Culture Factor so your ears are treated to some of the best stories around the world. And if you take the time to rate, review, and share this, please send me the screenshot and I'll give you a shout out on my show. Please reach out if you'd like to sponsor Culture Factor. It is your opportunity to be a part of a show that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 77 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com to be a part of this global audience. So hello, Culture Factor family. I'm really excited because um, being in the audio space, I have a special guest today. And his name is David Ciccarelli, and he is the co-founder and CEO of Voices.com. It is the largest marketplace for voice talent, and Voices.com has over 1 million members and has received over $20 million in funding to date. Voices.com launched in 2005, and they have users from over 160 countries with 5,000 jobs posted per month. Their clients include Shopify, Microsoft, Hulu, and Discovery, to name a few. As the CEO, David is responsible for setting the vision, executing the growth strategy, and creating a vibrant culture. He is frequently published in Forbes and the Wall Street Journal. So let's get started. Hello, David, and welcome to Culture Factor. Hey, great to be here, Holly. Thanks for having me on. I think we're set up for a great conversation today. I agree. I agree. So let's jump into the 5,000 jobs posted per month. Um, you are already a big promote, proponent and channel of the gig economy. So how did it change from 2005 to now? Because you've, you've bridged two recessions in there. Yeah, I think um, I would articulate that as, you know, let's let's call them the macroeconomic um, changes where, you know, from those early days in 2005, I mean, this kind of predates um, a lot of the adoption of social media um, and also a lot of the adoption of mobile technology. And what that has meant for people who work freelance uh, I think that freelance used to be, you know, kind of like what you did if you couldn't get, quote unquote, a real job. And now I think this is often the career choice of many um, aspiring professionals, you know, graduates that actually choose a career path of freelancing um, as their as their, uh, you know, first choice. Um, I, you know, speak at a number of schools as well too. And, and, you know, I always do the informal poll, like how many of you are thinking of starting your own business? And it used to be one or two out of a group of kind of, you know, 50 to a hundred. And now it's at least half the group, or if not like the definitely clear majority when you just kind of eyeball the, uh, the audience. So I think there is a desire and most of that desire is, um, not only just for like the time freedom, the willing, you know, the ability to um, kind of the, the classic things, setting your own hours, choosing the clients and projects you work with, 
but also I think there's some inherent, um, you know, know, not self-esteem, but like value and like personal worth and sense of contribution that you get when you see a project from start to finish. And so I think there's a lot of uh, intangibles that are behind it. And then perhaps more recently, you know, there's, there's maybe something to be said about, you know, is freelancing as, as silly as it might sound, is freelancing actually a more stable? Do I feel like I actually have more control over my, you know, financial uh, livelihood and destiny rather than perhaps working in a large, you know, corporate entity or a large enterprise? So I, I think it really is the, the confluence of factors that's, that's driving it. Um, but Holly, if I may, I mean, specifically with voiceover, which is an audio production, which are where, you know, almost all of the freelance talent uh, and independent kind of workers, if you will, that are on voices.com, there have been technology shifts that have enabled people to build out home recording studios. I mean, look at us right now. We have, you know, audio recording software, um, pretty decent microphones that years ago were probably a lot more expensive um, the ability to have broadband, high-speed internet where we can record remotely. We don't need to be in person. So the technology has really paved the path for people to work remotely. So as I said, I think it's a, a variety of factors and everyone kind of chooses their own path of why freelancing and, and, um, uh, and, and kind of why it's the right career choice for them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because with the recession, with the pandemic, with the um, great resignation, with all the furloughs, with the change in company culture, and then you have this whole emerging leadership and um, students, you know, Gen Z coming out of uh, school or still in it. It's interesting how I feel like for the first time in history, we're all in that same boat, you know, like the same exact uh, point in time that we have more in common than being different because of generations. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that, like your your talent on on your, uh, you know, having so many people in, in yours, like you, you have millions of people, like, do you find that there's a greater, um, what's the question I want to ask? Like, um, there's more ages and generations represented, whereas like maybe in 2005, it, there was more of a demographic you could point to. Yeah. I mean, regardless of where, I would agree with that, that regardless of where, what kind of prompted someone to consider freelancing full time, you know, and it often starts as a, you know, an aspiration. Maybe I'm going to, you know, the, the proverbial side hustle, right? Maybe I'm going to try to do something while I'm still holding down my my main um, full-time career, and I'm going to to dabble, for lack of a better term. But I think regardless of where that, it, it seems to be appealing, irrespective of age um, and, uh, you know, uh, background, um, you know, economic status. I mean, there are people who are of all walks of life, I would say, who are choosing to enter. I don't think there's a particular, like, you know, um, initial entry point. Um, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics had actually published a report around the freelance economy. And just during the pandemic, so call it the last 18 to, you know, going on 24 months here, 
um, 12% of the U.S. workforce began freelancing for the first time. So I think that's really telling that this, you know, there, there are often these moments that kind of, you know, prompt or serve as catalysts that people reevaluate um, their their personal situation. And I think that's obviously, you know, what, a lot of cause for the the great resignation, as you said. But of course, they, you know, all of us need to generate an income somehow. And then the question becomes, well, how might I be able to do that, right? And what, what are the skills and capabilities that I'm really good at? Um, so of that, you know, 12% of the workforce, also in the same um, BLS report was that a third, so 33% of freelancers actually chose creative fields. Now that could be um, that could be voiceover, video, audio production, obviously creative writing, um, anything around marketing and promotion, you know, photography. So anything in that creative field um, is a is a third of all freelancing. So perhaps we're all just you know a lot of people are you know had this when they were younger, but perhaps it was suppressed or not valued, or they felt like they needed to um, pursue a career in, you know, it, you know, with different skills, but now realizing I'm actually really good at this. This is, a, this is a gift that I have something in that creative realm. And, uh, there's clearly a lot of demand for it, um, as well, both from advertising agencies and brand marketers on kind of the, with the larger campaigns, but even small businesses, and I'm talking small businesses that aren't in the creative space at all that need creative skills. You know, think of somebody who might need a, a recording for a phone system or design business cards or some some posters or create their own social media presence because they feel like, hey, now they, they know they need to. That's where the people are. So there's definitely a, a, a shift towards freelancing and, you know, this concentration with creative, uh, creative fields, but then also um, technical uh, services and skills would be kind of at the other end of the spectrum in terms of the kind of the one to uh, where most of the freelancers are and consequently where most of the work is as well, too. You know, I don't know if you hear this often. Um, I find no matter who I talk to who's in business, and I'm just I'm just putting like air quotes out here, business. Right. When you talk to them, they'll very, very many of them, a large percentage will say, I'm not creative. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I feel like, you know, you can be many things and um, I think everybody's creative and I bet you, um, you know, we're talking specifically voiceover and, and so forth, but, you know, a lot of people have a unique sound or they're really good at writing and can collaborate with other people who are the voice of something and they don't realize how talented they are. Like you can be more than one thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. do, do you find like when, when, when you tell people what you do, they're like, oh, I could never use my voice or I'm not creative like that? Right. Well, I, I agree that, that everyone's creative in their own way um, because immediately even the term creativity conjures up a notion of, you know, being good at drawing or something along these lines that, that that's, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. I love that you brought up writing. Um, some people are excellent writers, you know, others are, um, actually the creativity comes down to more of like a business process. So think of like systems design that takes a lot of creativity or what they would call innovation, right? That's kind of a, a an offshoot. Um, 
but you're right. That especially with voiceover, it's interesting. Most people don't like the sound of their own voice. And that's why I think that, you know, especially if you hear it recorded, you're like that. If you've ever heard your own, if you've never heard your own voice recorded and you hear it for the first time, I, I, I know we've all had that moment. You're like, I sound like that. that that's me. <laughs> because you hear it in your own head and the vibrations of, you know, your vocal folds through your, through your skull actually produce a different sound than the words kind of being projected out of your mouth and passing through air and someone else hearing it. So that's why it sounds so foreign to you when you hear your own voice. And therefore the disposition is, I don't like the sound of my own voice. How could anybody listen to this? And, um, and you know, for all of the talented voice actors out there, you know, they, they're, they're a beneficiary of almost that awkward phenomenon because people go, I actually really like the sound of your voice. And, and therefore, you know, can you help me with my commercial? Can you record my phone system greeting, my voicemail message, my online video expl explainer video? And therefore, you know, that, that's kind of where um, a lot of that starts with, with people who might not deem themselves creative. <laughs> exactly. And for those who don't like their voice, I feel like we, the whole world learns what they sound like when they have to record the voice message on their phone for the first time. Right. <laughs> if you didn't know then, that's when you do. Exactly. Uh, let's dive in a little bit. There's been so much growth in audio. So what is your feeling about the status and, and the growth of audio? I mean, we, we see um, a lot of companies buying other companies in that space, uh, you know, iHeart and Spotify, you know, buying Anchor, like a lot of mergers. Um, and at the same time, you also see a ton of apps that have embraced social audio, um, Clubhouse, Twitter Spaces, Spotify Green Room, so forth. Um, what What is your feeling about the status and growth of that? And, and has it done anything for your business? Yeah. I mean, listen, the, the world is a wash in video on social media and online ads. And the reality is there's a percentage of the general population that actually learns best by listening. I know I'm one of those people. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I listen to a ton of podcasts. I have 500 audiobooks on my, on my iPhone, right? So you and I sound like we're, we're similar in this way. Now, where that gets difficult for brand marketers is that most most of us have you know and and I would consider myself in that group as well that you know marketers have saturated the eyes and are actually the smart ones are moving on to the ears they realize that this is just kind of untapped spectrum and so we see this in a couple areas attention spans have kind of been reduced from like 15 seconds down to like Instagram reels and TikTok videos of like 6 seconds or even ads on YouTube where they're a six second pre-roll ad, right? So like this oversaturation of video content kind of creates this desire for marketers um, to explore, well, what are the other channels that we might be able to communicate? So marketers are recognizing audio presents this unique opportunity to tell the story deeper and in a meaningful way. Now, you know, I listen to podcasts. Some of them are an hour long. Some of them are an hour and a half long. I, you know, I was just really, in, and they can be Q and a, they, there's different formats for them. We can, we can chat about that, but you know, there, this notion that I, I, I can, I have to get my message across in 15 seconds or less or else nobody will care. 
I think that's completely false. There's ample evidence that when somebody, when, when your, you know, target market, if you will, your audience that you're trying to connect with, they want to hear from you. They're going to seek out every piece of content that you speak on, that you've every video, every podcast appearance, they want to go deep to understand the heart. They want to understand the values. What does this person or this brand represent? And so if, if, and and that kind of comes over time where there's this sense of trust and I hear the same story repeated over time that happens over, you know, kind of like the frequency of messaging with duration that is just not going to happen in a six second video. You cannot tell the story with that level of depth. So what we're really referring to is this authentic marketing um, and messages that really are designed, I think, to educate and inform an, uh, an audience through the power of the human voice. This is, it's very, you know, to reuse the term, it's very authentic. You kind of, you are who you sound like. There's no special effects. There's no animation or any distractions. It kind of just takes it down to the essence of what someone's message is. Uh, and so that's, I think, why podcasts have been, um, you know, so the kind of like a resurgence, so popular um, recently. And, you know, both in terms of like the consumption uh, of them, as well as the production. People who never considered podcasting, they never wanted to be on video, actually are more comfortable and they didn't feel like they had a knack maybe for writing, um, actually are more comfortable behind a microphone. And that's, um, has been, certainly we've been a huge champion and advocate of that, uh, of, of audio as a means of communication. And, uh, also you're right. It's been a, uh, it's, it's been a huge plus for, um, the community of freelance talent on voices because it's just uh, on voices.com because it's, it's just ushered in, uh, you know, marketers and i and i use that term like you know whether you're an entrepreneur or or you work in an ad agency um but you know these are all clients to us but but these people who need to create who have a story to tell they're they're creating some kind of message but really it's a story to tell or a message to share um sometimes they want to do it themselves and other times they want to work with a professional um to to be that you know audio spokesperson if you will and uh, so that's been, a, as I say, a huge plus to uh, the community on voices.com over the last couple of years. It's, uh, I personally uh, love audio far more than I like video. Mm-hmm. And I realize that that's just personal, but there's a lot of evidence that when you get out and you go for a walk, when you busy yourself with kind of like a mundane type of task where you're not thinking much, like maybe you're chopping vegetables to get ready for dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. You you have more um, time for the brain to um, have those aha moments to absorb things that you've listened to, things you've done, things you've been thinking about. And I find for me, listening to like podcasts when I go for a walk, um, it has some of the same effects. Like I, I learn better. I absorb more of what they're talking about and they have my attention for far more than six seconds or seven seconds, whatever, you know, like I'm, I get drawn in. 
when I have to be chained to my desk with video to watch something like a, watch a podcast on YouTube or something, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm a hundred percent out. Like I mm-hmm. really want to absorb it like more on a subconscious level. Um, so I'm a big advocate and there's no question on that one. I just need to say that to you. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Um, and also this desire to perhaps, um, fill in or complement these, um, these moments during the day where, you know, we're all working professionals. We want to learn and better ourselves as well too. And perhaps it's chores, perhaps it's exercise, but you know, we can listen to music, um, or we can listen to educational content and maybe I'll learn something along the way. Or maybe it's, you know, a calming message or it's a, it's a short story. I mean, sometimes it's just about being kind of entertained and, and um, have some new ideas, um, you know, spoken into our lives. So I'm, I'm right there with you, Holly. I, I listen to a podcast, uh, taking the dog for a walk. That's my thing. And sometimes she gets a longer, do- a longer uh, walk because uh, the podcast is a good one and, and we just uh, keep uh, listening on the way. And I think, you know, podcasters have actually discovered you know, it's kind of these like ideal lengths, um, depending on the format of the show, but a lot of them are kind of the 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and maybe that's just because we've been, you know, more or less conditioned from the past 50 years of television, but kind of a 30 minute show. And then, or it's like an, it's a 60 minute show, right? Somewhere in that, um, neighborhood. And I think that actually aligns with coincidentally the average commute, you know, going to the office and back, whether that's on the train, the subway or the car, you know, kind of half an hour there, half an hour back. Interestingly, it's also the average walk of a dog is like between 20 and 30 minutes. So you start to kind of line these types of things up or like prep time, as you said, in the kitchen or doing a load of laundry, all these things, like our life is kind of segmented into these 20 to 30 minute increments that allow for content to be a companion with us as we're uh, going through our days. Oh, that's so well said. I'm going to go back in time for Culture Factor. When I, when I first launched the show, um, the conversation was around company culture. And um, so in your bio, you specifically say that you are about creating a vibrant culture. And since my show was born on that, mm-hmm. and because I stalk everybody's LinkedIn before I interview them... <laughs> Take note, David Chickrelli. I noticed that you studied at Harvard Business School during the pandemic Mm -hmm. in their owner-president management program. Um, And so I have kind of a two-part question here about how that has served you both internally facing with your team and externally with Voices.com for your membership. Yeah, the um, the program at Harvard has been, you know, just such an incredible blessing to be able to go through that. I had, um, up to that point, you know, my background is in engineering in particular audio engineering, um, and founded uh, a company really immediately founded the, the precursor in effect to, to voices, um, you know, right after graduating from school. So I didn't have the benefit of, uh, let's say a formalized business background, but most entrepreneurs truthfully don't. It's the school of hard knocks. It's the street sense that you learn along the way. And so despite kind of, I would say, participating in a number of kind of ad hoc programs um, at, again, the local business school, 
um, and being an absolute avid reader as well too, and and audiobook listener, I did feel there was a something missing that I wanted that more formalized, structured kind of an academic approach. I wanted the theory behind, you know, am I doing the right things? That was my intention, you know, applying um, to Harvard and then ultimately going through this program. What um, was really, I think, amazing about this, and it's and it's it's designed for, so it's called OPM, Owner President Management Program. Um, it's designed for really just that. A, a lot of entrepreneurs, but presidents um, or CEOs of companies, and they're you know, really from all around the world. And that was something that was really fascinating as well, too. Um, most people have, you know, already, you know, incredible credentials as well, but most importantly, they've built a business. So it's, it's as much of learning from your peers. Um, what I've, what I learned in that was actually how to improve communications amongst the team. I think realizing that in order to continue to grow and scale, um, I needed to afford more opportunities and frankly present more opportunities for growth amongst the team that it couldn't necessarily be me, you know, being that final decision maker all of the time. Um, and I think that's, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is the need to let go. Um, and that actually, I think was, you know, co uh, coupled with, what I would define um, as as culture, which is often, and I'd love to hear, you know, if you if you had a, a definition as well. But here's kind of what I've latched onto, which is um, culture is behavior in the absence of policy. So if there were no rule books, if there were no handbooks, if there was no, this is how we must behave. It's almost like the inherent behavior. If no one was looking over your shoulder, how would you carry out this situation? What would be your decision-making framework or criteria? And by doing that, I think that's actually something we now, and for a long, long time actually, have looked for in new, um, you know, new employees that are joining the team. Um, it's kind of what we reward in terms of promotions as well too, that in effect, can we, you know, can we um, provide greater authority, expand the span of control over this individual and promote them knowing that they're going to kind of live out these same type of, you know, in effect, the company values. But even if there were no stated values, like what is it in the character of this person that, um, or this individual, and then collectively the whole company um, that is just in, intrinsic. And so that's, that's how I think about um, culture is trying to instill that sense of um, living out the values and direction of the company. If it were, even if it were not written down and kind of enforced constantly, which you need to do. Um, but that was, you know, that was one thing certainly uh, learned at uh, through this Harvard business school program. Um, happy to go into other topics around strategy as well too. I mean, it was just, it was really phenomenal, but I, I feel like I, I grew a lot. And I think the telltale sign of that is I used to, uh, Holly say, um, why do we, why do we, why are we doing it this way? What, what's, why are we doing it this way? Or, you know, how come this, right? It was very pointed and acquisitive. And I realized through, uh, and the feedback was given was 
this can come off as like really being harsh and kind of um, accusatory. And the best phrase that was given to me, I'll share with you now, was to just simply ask, help me understand. Now you're not playing dumb. You're not pretending you don't know, but you're, you're recognizing that the person across the table, your colleague, the person in your company, they're clearly very smart. They've spent a lot of time on a presentation or an analysis, or they've done a deep dive on whatever the topic is. And they have a particular perspective. So the best posture to take is that of learning and that of asking to be informed and teach me your side of this story. So help me understand why you went about this way. And that is such a great almost prefix that just smooths out any conversation. And I feel like the culture at Voices has been a lot more constructive. I hear other people saying that now too of this kind of um, delicate, inquisitive, genuine interest to see the other side of the argument, to see the other side of the business case, to understand in more depth and detail why it's being presented. So I figured I would share that with uh, with the group. Um, help me understand. It's really cool. You have like no ego. <laughs> I really, really like the fact that you were so open to being told, first of all, that the way you were um, challenging people that worked for you could actually be making them feel as though they were being interrogated or not recognized for the work that they had put in or their experience. When in fact you weren't, it was just the way you were presenting it. And yeah. I, I really uh, think that's incredible. I I think we always need new ways to um, talk with people and to learn how to talk to people. I, I think we don't take enough time to find other ways to share our ideas or mm -hmm. our dissatisfaction in something. And there's, there needs, I mean, there is a, a willingness to be vulnerable and that often can come through in, you know, what's the classic tool is the 360, you know, performance review or performance assessment. Um, that was a requirement actually as part of this program at Harvard, but I had done those beforehand, um, mostly because I realized if I'm not, if someone's not speaking that truth into my life, I don't think anybody will be. And so I, I actually have to ask, no one's going to volunteer and say, Hey, can, can we do a performance review with you? Um, now, you know, that has been one of the benefits of actually having a board of directors now, which, uh, you know, started the company with my dear wife, Stephanie, um, just the two of us for the going on the first, you know, 10 years and going from co-founders as a husband and wife team to now having, you know, Morgan Stanley, you know, one of the biggest investment banks in the world being our investors and also on our board of directors um, just elevated the professionalism, how we carry ourselves, the quality of um, materials that we produce for board meetings and how we run meetings. You know, I, I, I call these like forcing functions. Like, you know, when you take these steps in life, they just, 
they even if you're not ready for it, they cause you to level up your game, right? Um, they cause you to, you know, especially either it's a big investment or again, this the, having a board of directors, I needed to learn really quickly what goes in a, how do you run a board meeting? How do you, what goes in a board pack? Um, learning things like, you know, pre-selling or socializing the ideas, making sure everyone's seen the agenda before the official agenda goes out. These kind of social etiquette um, practices that if you don't recognize that, you just kind of assume it's just a regular meeting like any other meeting. Um, but I've, I, you know, again, I've, I've just, I've learned so much and um, probably even though I wasn't quite ready for it, I think there are those moments where you need, do need to take those leaps of faith. And I would encourage those listening, if you are at that moment and you don't feel like you're ready, that's okay. I would just go for it and you will grow into that space. That's how, that is actually how we grow. <laughs> are we ever ready? Right. <laughs> you know, I, I always say to people, um, and, and a lot of people say this, this is not, uh, you know, unique to me, but, um, just start like, no matter what it is, just start. Um, I do believe that, um, you, you can build the plane while flying it. You know, mm -hmm. it, you just need to do it. You just need to get started and bump and figure it out. And, um, and I think the other piece of that is, and you probably learn this as you are growing, like there really is no specific right way or wrong way. You just, you, there's always a couple different ways to come at a solution. So you just pick one, it's yours, go with it. And you might find that it doesn't quite work, but someone else is going to help you see an even better way to do it. So mm -hmm. there's, um, it reminds me of a, a book I had listened to recently called how to be strategic. And, uh, the, the main premise was, um, that, you know, strategy fundamentally is choice, right? You can, you're choosing to pursue a particular path and, the way, you know, and so that's why you say there's multiple paths to kind of get there. There, there isn't just the one now often, you know, when, from the outside looking at someone who like, wow, they're just making such smart strategic decisions all of the time. Well, that, you know, probably is because they have maybe 10, 15, 20 years experience. They've seen all of the iterations, they've seen all the mistakes or made them personally. So they just make better decisions. So that's kind of one path is just years of experience and a lot of trial and error. Another one is, well, if you don't have that time, well then tap into somebody's knowledge who has been there. That's the value of a mentor or an executive coach or a colleague or a board member that you can bring on and they can walk alongside you where you're, you're gaining from their experience to accelerate your own growth. Um, there's other paths altogether, which could be just the the observer path where you're going to maybe not ask someone directly kind of these, these direct questions of I'm, this is my challenge and I need answers, but I'm more going to, you know, read up on it, listen to a bunch of podcasts, watch videos, conduct surveys. I'm going to gather all of this um, information in order to uh, make that decision. But uh, all of these situations, they, the challenge with strategy is that you're kind of applying 
historical experience, either your own, someone else's, or like the collective, you know, um, you know, classic wisdom of the crowds, previous experience against a future unknown outcome. And that's why strategy is so difficult. It's that way people scratch their heads going, I, I basically copied exactly what they did, but it didn't work for me. Well, there's so many variations. Time is different, location, geography, the industry is slightly different, your personality, their person. You don't know all of the things that are different. That's why it doesn't exactly work. So the, the, the actual solution ends up being a lot of trial and error. There's just, it's a lot of testing. It's kind of why, um, you know, Eric, uh, races, uh, book around kind of the lean startup was so popular because people just needed to, as you say, Holly, you just start, you're probably going to get things wrong, but you will learn from that. You know, it's a lot of iteration. So, you know, it's, it's, it's beneficial to gain insight from those who've walked before you, but in the end, you still got to chart your own path. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. Just on the aside, so you've refined your culture by bringing in all of these other people, you know, uh, a board and investors. Um, you were a husband and wife team. So in terms of your membership, which was sort of that latter part of the question, if you don't mind me coming back of into course. that, how has the changes in your internal culture affected your membership or has it? I actually think it has. We, we, we had, um, I think it's a reflection of the age and stage of a company in the earliest days. And I'm going to say when we were like 20, um, you know, the first kind of 20 employees, there's so much you don't know. You're trying, you, you, you almost don't even have a, 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 dare I say, a profile of the ideal employee of who you're looking for to be kind of part um, to, to join you along the journey. And, um, you hire the best people you can. Sometimes we all, you know, we all make mistakes or you're trying to grow one area of the business and there, you know, some people are moving in another area. And I think, um, admittedly, I think we made some, I mean, not in, not, not intentionally, I want to be clear about this. We just, I think we just made some, you know, marketing mistakes, some kind of like go to market, like, how we positioned what voices was some of the services we offered just kind of didn't work out or were misunderstood. Um, and so I, I think the more we matured and, um, sought out seasoned, experienced, you know, career professionals, I think they brought a degree of discipline to our team that, 
allowed for better decision making. And really that is, you know, the, the, the essence of what a company is, you know, it's like a collection of people all working towards the same, you know, mission and vision, but day to day, everybody's making decisions. Now, are we making them as individuals in the sense of what's best for me? Or are we making them like collectively that this is going to drive the company forward? And so I think as, you know, uh, as we, I'll, I'll use this term matured as a company, I think that's actually instilled greater and greater trust. Oh, at least it's, I feel like it has, I feel like our community has said, wow, you guys are really embracing community. You're really um, much more clear about how you operate, you know, the level of customer service. Uh, and so, uh, um, and just the overall experience on the voices, uh, on the voices uh, marketplace. So I think, you know, who, who you surround yourself with as a leader and the people you bring on your team um, absolutely have an impact uh, on customers, be it the words that they say, how they communicate, um, you know, how, how they um, express themselves through, you know, it, it just kind of goes back to communication, the, you know, emails and phone calls and so forth. If, the, if that's coming from a good place that's actually in the best interest of the customer, um, then you're going to end up on, on the right side of that. So we've coined this phrase, Holly, which is that the business is based on shared success. As a marketplace, we fully recognize, as a freelance marketplace, we will only be successful if the community of talent are successful. So... Therefore, we need to, you know, bring on as many job opportunities as possible. They need to pay fair wages, you know, in terms of like price per project. They need to have all of the information in there so the talent can make a great decision of, hey, is this the kind of thing I want to work on? That there's kind of the no surprises, um, that there's a an agreement between the client who's hiring the talent and the talent sees that and kind of clicks off or checks off on that, if you will. So there's just a lot more clarity about the process, but that came because there was, there was a period where it was, it, it could have been clear. And I think we took that feedback to heart and we needed people around the table and in the company that were also willing to make that change. Um, so I think you're, you know, to, to answer the, to answer kind of pointedly, you're right. The people you do surround yourself with, absolutely. If they have that shared really shared values, it does permeate and extend out to your, to your customers. It, it sounds like you have like this perfect marriage of, uh, sort of that we or team mentality married with a strong EQ. Mm. And, um, I think you need to have you definitely need to have EQ in the mix. Like you can't, I think you can't service a community and without that. So in creating your team, I feel like you took the best part of your systems and your people and you married that a little bit with that EQ side to be able to deliver something that feels, um, special to the people who are part of your community. Like it's not, um, like they're part of it. 
they're part of you're part of their success and vice versa. So, mm-hmm. and and you know, to make it more than words, we also needed to translate that into you know actual programs that we're running. And so, a practical example of that is we established a trust and safety center, right? That talked about things like how payments are held securely. That talked about our content guidelines. Um, as an example, you know, we, we, we call it E for everyone. So we're not going to allow any job posting to go up and ask people to do, to, you know, ask the voice talent to record something that would be questionable or potentially offensive. We say E for everyone, which is, which is actually a video game rating. Um, but it basically means family friendly, right? Kind of not even PG, like family friendly. There's no swears. There's no explicit content. There's no extreme violence. Someone can go somewhere else if that's the kind of content you want. But on on Voices.com, it's going to be very clean to the best of our abilities. And we'll have, you know, tools behind the scenes that are going to filter for that uh, as well, too. That is a brand decision. But the community has also rewarded us for that because we've been exceedingly clear about this is the kind of content that's acceptable. In all of the years, Holly, I actually think that that's benefited voices uh, as saying we actually stand for kind of uplifting and positive and content that encourages. And I think that's actually attracted other large brands that are concerned about their own brand safety. Who, you know, who, who's, who are the circle of brands that we're, you know, affiliated with even by extension. Um, so I think that that has uh, benefited us despite being challenged many, many times over the years, like, Hey, we, we could probably generate more sales here. We could probably, we have to turn down a project. We've just really held, held the line on that. Um, and then another one to demonstrate the shared success idea was actually launching this, um, we call it verified by voices. Basically it's a, um, you know, it's, it's almost like it's a loyalty, but it's an, it's an acknowledgement, um, you know, program for the voice talent who've completed over a hundred jobs on the platform. And, you know, they get the, the, the blue check mark on their profile. They stand out for sure. They get a, a note from, from us. And, um, you know, we're looking at ways to kind of build out that verified program a lot further but it's not just verifying their identity. It's like, it's saying, Hey, we recognize how much time and energy you've invested into the platform. It's a small thing that we can do, um, to help you stand out and be even more successful, uh, for years to come. So it's, it's, uh, hopefully coming off as more than words. It's, it's also followed up by the actions. That's really great. I love that you do that. Um, I have like a really random question. I'm going to come out of left field. Because, All right, I'm ready. <laughs> um, it's okay if you don't have an answer for it because it's like sort of new new technology. Um, well, it's old technology and new. So you work in the world of really MP3s, you know, like yeah. um, so are you looking into NFTs? Do you have companies that are seeking out um talent? that can record mp3s that might be converted and minted as nfts or do you have the technology 
to convert and mint within your platform. And I know that was really left field, but I'm sort of um, geeking out on um, non-fungible tokens these days. So, and you're in the MP3 world. So I had to ask. Yeah, you're right that we deal predominantly in MP3s as the audio file format. Um, That is a compressed version of the kind of, of audio, which would be mostly like a wave file. If you kind of get a wave file, it's arguably the most pristine um, uh, quality. Um, the conversion into um, an NFT? No, I haven't. Uh, we we don't have that technology, and I will uh, I will credit you as the first person who's asked about that. Um, certainly, around kind of minting an NFT from an audio file. Um, but that will likely send me down the trail of doing some research, perhaps later this afternoon or, uh, <laughs> I'm or sorry. tomorrow on that one. But uh, no, I mean, I'm sure that there's a use case because because here's here's the other reason is, um, really audio is is you know similar in that it's intellectual property, right? You know whether it's an image or it's a video asset, there's audio assets, and some of them are you know they're they're all unique. In which case, um, there would be a heightened desire to have, you know, um, attribution that this is the authentic and original and kind of stating ownership. Um, I could definitely see that being a desire, but uh, you know, I, I I would be I'm I'm cautious to to speak about those things I I know quite a bit about and and avoid those that I'm um more unfamiliar but uh, as I said I will I will do some research on that one it sounds uh, pretty interesting. Did I just hand you the red pill? Are you going down? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> this probably. weekend, I, you know, it's um it's my business strategy side, David. I'm sorry, I think I might have also created a new vertical for voices.com. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. How do, how do we manage uh, it's like a rights management system for uh, for audio content. Well, maybe one day we'll have a chat about it. So There you go. <laughs> I'm so excited to to see what you might be able to build out. I mean, the whole audio industry is always changing, so um I think you have to be agile, right? Like you have to be open to to that. So, um I hope you enjoy your weekend studying NFTs and your wife doesn't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't couldn't. This was awesome. I'm I'm glad you allowed me to ask you that left field question because I think um you know, it's always interesting to see you know, where companies are going. So with that said, I, I don't want to end on that note. I want to ask you, uh, where are you headed? Are there any projects or things that you are creating that you'd like to share? Yeah. I mean, the the big um, evolution, if you will, for voices, you know, that we're still, you know, um, kind of seeing its full potential is uh, expanding from a voice only marketplace to recognizing that there are complementary creative services and skills that our existing community actually already had. And concurrently, there were clients saying, do you have somebody who can do some translation? Can somebody edit the audio? Can, can I have some music mixed in? And that's where we're realizing, okay, they, a, a client came primarily for the voice, but they have these other needs. And, uh, so just this, uh, over the last couple of months, we actually enabled these other categories. So, um, you know, you can actually go on and hire to someone to edit a podcast recording or translate your script from English to Spanish, and then 
you know, whether you need that voiceover for that or it's just a standalone translation uh, work, then that can be done. Um, music is another category that we feel kind of all center around voice as the heart of the production. But there's these kind of pre-production services and post-production services. So it's just a more robust kind of offering that um, that really, uh, you know, to reuse this term around shared success, that really presents the community of freelance talent on Voices.com with new ways to earn, right? New Because they have these skills. And so they really just new ways to showcase uh, those skills. So that's what's new at, uh, at Voices and we'll continue to build that out over the next year. Well, I think that's perfect. And I, and I think you used the word in the beginning, complementary. And I think it's always smart to stay in your space especially initially when you when you expand or grow and so all of those things make so much sense i you know i talk often with people who say well you know why would i need the transcript from from the audio file and i say to them you know that is you know really good content it's like google's love language is long form content so if you can take that transcript from from what you spoke and mm-hmm. put it on your website um it's really great for your search engine optimization and uh you know a lot of people I, don't know I, that i agree just to, you know it's interesting google doesn't understand audio inherently you know what they're doing behind the scenes is having to convert it to text be it captions in a video or transcription and hey if you know if we can do that ourselves as a podcaster or a blogger or a business owner and we're just saying here's the transcript i mean boy that's a lot more efficient um you're right so um if if you're looking to grow an audience of your podcast i mean having the text-based version which people can scan, right? But also that you're really serving that up for Google that makes your podcast even more discoverable next time someone's searching around that particular topic. So I, I appreciate that you that you shared that. Share that. I think that was a great tip. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, it's got to shove the marketing in there somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> so David, this was really amazing. I can't thank you enough for coming on Culture Factor and um, uh, we've learned so much about your company, but I think more so you as a leader and where your company is going. So um, thank you for that. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Holly.